Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43 on page 1559 of the Church Bible. By the time you get to Mark chapter 5, a great deal has happened in Mark's gospel. The first four chapters, you discover Jesus conducting one miracle after another, after another. And rumor and speculation and gossip is all over ancient Galilee, the northern section of Israel. And people are coming in their hundreds and sometimes thousands to hear what Jesus has to say. And so we break into chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole story. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Tylitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. I have the incredible privilege on a regular basis to receive handwritten notes from children. 
And that usually happens on Sunday morning because in the middle of the sermon, they will start writing me notes, drawing me pictures of things they like to do, places they've been with their parents, things they've been actively involved with during the week. And back in March, one Sunday morning at the close of the service, I received this note from a young lady, and this came from Delaney. And you will see it's on our little piddling pad that we have there. It says, for little Presbyterians. And clearly, clearly, Delaney is insightful, wise, discerning. This is a girl who has it all together. And she says, you are awesome, you are cool, you are funny, you are all about God. And she draws a picture of her little sister Campbell, who's age three on the right-hand side, the left-hand side. And she highlights for us Campbell's name. And Campbell has a crown on, if you can't make it out. And then Delaney is in the middle. And of course, she's very pleased. She has her bow in her hair that morning. And she writes, my bow. And then she writes, Pastor Richard. And I'm on the the right-hand side as you look at it. Now, of course, I chuckled when I received that because I'm in full agreement with what she's written, but I'm not sure I recognize my thick, dark hair or my short, dark skirt. I'm assuming that's my robe. But my point in all of that is this. It is always fascinating to see yourself as children see you. And when Mark comes to writing his gospel, and Mark was a close friend of Peter. In fact, Luke writes about John Mark in Acts chapter 12, and he describes him and describes his relationship with Peter. And what we know is this, that not only was he a close friend of Peter, but from time to time, he journeyed with Peter and Paul. And in the intervening years from the death of Christ to Mark sits down and begins to write his gospel, Imagine what was going through his mind. Think how carefully he would take and craft all that took place in the life of Jesus. And as he writes his gospel, he has one thing in mind, and it's this. He wants his readers to get to know, be impacted and transformed, heart and soul and mind, the way Mark has, the way Peter has. He wants us to know Jesus as he truly is. And that's what's going on throughout Mark's gospel. Now this morning, you may be tempted to say, Richard, I don't often come to church. And when I do, you're always taking us into a passage of the Bible. And I never get a chance to ask the kind of questions I want to ask. And this morning, I have a burning question. And my question is this. Why are you taking us into the first century when, in fact, we live in the 21st century? Richard, I have in my pocket a smartphone that if I take out and use, I can receive emails from around the world. I can receive phone calls from any country. I can get sports and international news at any time of day. And we live in the 21st century. Why are you taking us to the the first century? And here's my question. What on earth is the relevance of the first century to the 21st century? What difference does it make? That's my question. That's what I need you to answer this morning. 
Well, if you're asking that question, I promise I will come back and answer that question. But let me encourage you this morning to journey back into the first century and get as close to Jairus, the synagogue ruler, as you can. And if you imagine him there speaking with Jesus, stand in his shadow. Listen, watch, feel, sense the impact of what's about to take place. Because remember, Jairus is a synagogue ruler. And that means he was a leader in his community. He would sit on a national council. People would know him and know him well. They trusted his leadership. He would certainly know about Jesus. He would certainly know the gossip, the rumor, the speculation. He would hear of miracle after miracle. I suspect he'd heard Jesus preach and teach in the past. He'd watched lives be impacted and transformed, heart and soul and mind. And when he was at his point of greatest need, he did what any father would do. He runs to Jesus. He falls at his feet. He pleads with him. He says, I know you can do miracles. My daughter is dying. Please help me. All of his leadership skill, all of his ability to to sit on national committees and lead and guide and direct the religious side of the people of Israel was not helping him that day. What he needed was Christ to intervene. And as Jesus listens to him, he immediately says, of course I'll come and help. And notice what happens next in the passage. What does he say? A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the, in the crowd and said, If only I can touch his cloak, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Please understand what's happening here. Mark is painting for us two pictures. Here we have Jairus, the synagogue ruler. He is the insider. He is well known. He's held in high regard. And here is this lady over here who for the last 12 years has been hemorrhaging. And medically that means this. The nutrients, the minerals, the vitamins in her bloodstream would not be helping her. Her immune system would be low. She would be open to infection. And not only was she open to infection, others would be tempted to think, there's something else going on here. Is she infectious? Can we catch this? She's been ill for years. And they would be holding her at arm's length. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. Here was Jairus, an insider with everything going for him. And here was this lady, an outsider with nothing going for her. But in the midst of all of her pain and isolation and loneliness, what does she do? She sees Jesus passing and she thinks, if only I touch the hem of his garment, that will be enough to heal me. And she does. Now remember what's happening. Here is Jairus, 
over here, along with Jesus, making his way to his home to help with his 12-year-old who's dying. And this lady steps out, touches Jesus' cloak, and what does Jesus do? He stops the whole thing. A large crowd was going with him, and he stops and says, I'm not moving another inch till I find out what, who touched me. And you can imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, all sorts of people are brushing against you and bumping into you. What do you mean, who touched me? Come on. And think of Jairus. His daughter is dying. I imagine Jairus over here walking up and down, shaking his head, pulling at his clothes, thinking, what on earth is going on here? Can't she come with us? You can heal her later. My daughter is dying. Look after her later, please. Why doesn't Jesus simply say, Father, thank you, and quietly move on? Because he needs this lady to understand this cardinal principle of genuine faith. It wasn't his garment. It wasn't the material that healed anyone. It was Christ himself. It was the love and grace and goodness of God reaching out and touching this lady who had, for all intents and purposes, been vilified and ostracized. And notice what the passage tells us. It tells us this, that she stepped forward filled with fear. Why? Why isn't she going around giving people high fives and rejoicing? Why isn't there celebration? But she comes forward and is fearful because she understood, she understood the magnitude of what just happened. For 12 years, she spent everything she had. She had prayed, worried, been anxious, tried every possible avenue in order to be healed. Please understand this. When God puts his hand upon your life and moves you to a whole new level, you better be ready to be unsettled and uncomfortable, a little unnerved. Because when he takes your heart and soul and mind and your entire life and he molds it and shapes it and draws you to himself, it is a whole new level of experience. And that's what this lady realized. She understood it, that the Lord God Almighty, in all of his grace and love, was dealing with her. And no wonder she was unnerved. And Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. And he feels for her and he says, go in peace. Please understand this. And if you're taking notes this morning, if you're watching on television, I need you to get this. It is not the amount of faith that matters, but the object of your faith that matters. Now let me say it again. It is not the amount of faith that matters. It is the object of your faith that matters. That's why Jesus said elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, 
that small. And that lady in reaching out and touching him, fully committed, surrendered her life to Christ and trusted him at that point. Now what about Jairus? He is over here looking around saying, what on earth is going on? And do you notice the rest of the story? It tells us this, that his servants came almost out of the way, almost quietly off to one side, and he says, and they say to him, your daughter is dead. It's too late. Why bother the teacher anymore? Then you have those fascinating words And they're fascinating because they say this, ignoring what they said. Jesus ignored it. Very rarely do you find him ignoring anything, but he simply ignores it. Ignoring what they said, he looks at Jairus and he says, Do not be afraid, just believe. That's the central point of this entire story. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That God is working and drawing people to himself. It becomes a little unsettling, a little unnerving, a little fearful. And he says, do not be afraid. Just believe. I've got it. I can deal with this. And here was Jairus, the synagogue ruler. What was he going to do? And he trusts in Christ right there. Fully. Freely, entirely, and goes with him to the home. Then, of course, we know you have this bizarre episode when they get to the family home, when you have family and friends and professional mourners have come, and Jesus arrives and says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And you have, again, words you rarely see in the gospel, and they laughed at him. You almost never find people laughing at Jesus, but it happened right there, and they laughed at him. Mark wonderfully, in a flourish of his pen, I think, writes, and he put them all out. He did. He simply had them step outside the house. He takes mum and dad, Peter, James, and John. He goes up to the room. He sees the little girl. He takes her by the hand, and he speaks to her in the language her parents would use. And he says to her, Tylitha Kuhn, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she comes back to What is going on there is this. There came a point for Jairus that he had to decide who he was and what he was going to believe. And he trusted Christ right there. And if you are going through tough days, days that are darker than a thousand midnights and almost no one knows and you're uncertain what to do and you're unclear about the way forward, please hear this. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Trust him. Hold on to him. He's got you and he's got the circumstance you're facing. Remember at the beginning of our time together this morning, I said I would answer the question. And the question was, what difference does faith make in a 21st century setting? And it's this. No email. 
no text, no international or sports report can ever transform, transform the heart and mind and soul. It's only the love and grace of Christ himself that transforms, renews, forgives, recreates and draws you into a relationship with himself. Jairus was about to discover for the first time in his adult life that formal religion will not bring you into relationship with God. It is the love and grace of Christ himself. It is trusting him, giving your life to him, being dependent on him. That's what makes the difference. That's why we go to the first century in order to live in the 21st. Because there is no experience like it when you submit and surrender your life to his rule and reign. And please hear me when I say this. Whether you are a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, when your children, family, friends, neighbor, See in you a relationship with Christ that transforms your life. Then they will say, then they will say, you are cool, you are funny, you are all about God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable story in Mark's gospel. Enable us, please, to take your word and apply it to ourselves this week. Help us to remember that whenever we are afraid, whenever we are uncertain, when we just don't know what is coming our way and we are faithful, enable us, please, by your grace, to believe. In Jesus' name we pray.